Welcome to the Hotel Analyst Podcast, your regular dose of 20 minutes or so of thoughts and matters of the moment in and around the hotel investment space. And um, as usual, you find me, Chris Bown, the editor of Hotel Analyst, joined by Andrew Sankster, the editor or director of Hotel Analyst, uh, to chew these over. And we're starting by taking a look at what was said uh, on and off the mic um, at the recent Marriott uh, Investor Analyst Day. Um, here was the uh, big beast of the hotel space, Marriott, setting out uh, the way it sees uh, its own business moving and the world of hotels more generally over the next three or four years. It was a, it was a good lengthy performance, a good morning of, of, of presentations and information, followed by a, a decent Q&A session too. And about the same point, uh, although not very neatly segued, um, Marriott did announce also that it's brought out uh, yet another brand to add to its stable, which uh, uh, they've snappily named Four Points Express by Sheraton. Now that is uh, going to be a, especially a conversion brand that they believe is going to help them pick up the pace across uh, Europe, the Middle East and Africa. So we heard a bit about that too, but um, yeah, some impressive looking numbers from, uh, from Marriott as to where they see their business going over the next three or four years, how profitable it will be. Uh, but also quite a bit more colour on um, where we might see some more M&A activity as they look to uh, fill in the gaps in their uh, global business. Interesting that um, of, of the many regions they report, they uh, consider themselves to be in the lead in only one, which is Central and Latin America, uh, as well as the home US market. And so they've, they're in second place uh, in several other key regions around the globe. And I got the feeling they don't want to be in second place uh, in some of those regions for much longer. Yes, it's an interesting session, this one. Um, the Like you, Chris, I cannot understand the logic of the new brand at all i mean the brand itself is a good idea it's absolutely what they need to be doing which in that mid-scale piece especially in the european market they need to have a decent conversion brand absolutely mm. but if you're targeting at the european market why would you choose a brand which is by far better known um in north america well yeah um, and and, and, and and they've sort of been working on it in asia but yeah it's sort of it's 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 a bit of a legacy not very kind of meaning very much kind of name in europe isn't it sheraton it's bizarre so it, there's 10 four points in europe and 160 in north america and that kind of gives you <laughs> that, you know a sense of where this all sits and of course it comes out of um sheraton and um you know and you know it's quite weird to call it four points by sheraton kind of is like a sub sub brand isn't it mm. it's um, ended up as because mm. i mean and sheraton again is not that well known in europe i mean it's better known um but why not just you know four points expressed by marriott or four points expressed by bonvoy which has been mm. even more creative i think but mm -hmm. why why not why bother with four points at all and you know um d d either you know create something new um or or have a spin-off of a better known european brand um mm. they have right. ac and all and they have moxie yeah have all moxie sorts of things moxie express moxie light yeah, yeah. yeah. we well, see that's my other issue is the express because this is a conversion brand yeah and express really uh, you know you associate that thanks to holiday in express mm. um you associate that with new build properties you 
they're very very hard brand standards right that is not what you're going to get with this so unless the express reflects how quickly it is that owners can <laughs> convert their properties mm. um, it's not really much of a consumer proposition i would suggest this so um it's a big fat fail i you know in terms of the name mm. but you look at it though i think it, it, it looks a very compelling proposition name aside and i'm sure it will mm. despite its name do very well i mean at the end of the day uh, there's a lot of things awfully named which succeed and, yeah uh, um but I do wonder, I mean, how much the um, brand people at uh, Marriott HQ got paid for this because um, they're really having us a Friday afternoon job, it looks like to me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they're, they're yes, more impressive was the way they're, they're being much more clear on fees. Um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, one of the things here, I think, is that there's lots of numbers in terms of how they're going to grow outside of the U.S., um, more rapidly in markets like Asia Pacific uh, um, and elsewhere. But actually, if you look at the the fee piece, uh, Europe is going to be very growing in importance um, in some ways. Um, although, actually, um, you know what it's forecasting is that by the end of 2025, EMEA will see its share of fees shrink down from. Um, 11% down to 10%, so a slight restriction here on, on the fees. But overall, it's still significantly bigger. By 2025, even with all this growth as planned for Asia Pacific and uh, um, elsewhere, um, like, such as China, so China is only going to be 6% of fees by 2025, and the Asia Pacific ex China, 7%. So Europe's still dominant. So, you know, I, I don't you know it makes me sound a bit chippy about europe here but i mean you know why why are they constantly downplaying it really because i think this is an area where they ought to be making uh further progress um um they don't seem to be doing it um you know with the same gusto um they talk of in places like china and asia pacific so i'm, I'm slightly surprised by that um uh, there's a few other bits and bobs. This, this is a, you know, it's a great, it's well worth having a look at the slides from all the different uh, presentations. There's some great little nuggets in there. Um, so, I mean, one thing that struck me was just how important Leisure Transient is now to the Marriott business. Overall, it's 42% of uh, global room nights. This compares to 34% for business transient and 24% for group. So it's clear just how much of a grip leisure now has here in in this. You know, we I always used to think of the um, the branded hotel business, uh, certainly in the upper upscale and and beyond, is very much as a B two B category. But um, clearly now it's a consumer focused thing and this is why brands really do matter and 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 building the right infrastructure to drive um you know awareness and interest among uh, you know with consumers is so critical and i think you know Marriott has done one of the best jobs in this is bonvoy program um Again, probably a name it's not the greatest <laughs> i suggest but we've 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 kind of adjusted to it now yeah um but uh, um you know that that is a very good program um certainly the credit card deals they've got it, it it's done 
you know it's done very well and you know I, I think this you know what they need to do i think in, in terms of this is to is is to make that penetration down into the mid scale and maybe who knows maybe they will even you know start looking at the economy sector but you know how do they get there and how do they do that because i certainly you know in the luxury and the upper upscale piece you can do that by using your um loyalty scheme um and 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 your your reservation systems um to drive those north american um travelers into these hotels and that gives you a good uplift but you know once you get down to sort of the mid mid market you're more far more reliant on domestic customers and what's critical there is having scale and getting to that scale um and as you said chris they talked a little bit about trying to get some scale but frankly itsy bitsy deals is not really going to give them leadership i'd suggest mm -hmm. so um if they really want to go for leadership outside of north america and outside of the caribbean and latin america as you as you point out if they if they want to get that leadership i think they're going to have to take off a bigger bite and uh you know ac or, or ihg might be <laughs> the sort of bite they need to make we're, we're returning to our uh, operational real estate festival uh held recently in london um to chew over two more issues that came out of the debates uh during that day um one was a look at uh, the rise of the new asset classes um and uh, Andrew, I'm I'm certainly old enough to remember when uh, um, everyone loved retail of and offices and sheds, as they were called. Uh, industrial uh, property was was unloved, and as, as Yolanda Barnes pointed out um, in her presentation, uh, that's all flipped around now. So whereas uh, sheds were considered risky, and and retail was the uh, asset to own. Um, retail owning a shopping centre is now considered a pretty risky bet and uh, you're far better off with some good old metal bashing or whatever going on in um, uh, some crinkly crinkly roofed uh, premises instead so um, that's one of the big shifts and of course this big shift towards uh, looking much greater at uh, alternatives um, hospitality being among them so that was one of the big flips that uh, was talked about in terms of the way uh, the world of investment has, has gone over the last few years. And uh, the other issue that came up was uh, perhaps a, a bit more of a, a breakdown and looking at those uh, those different alternatives and which are performing very well. And we had a presentation from Eduardo Gili, um, a research analyst at Green Street, um, who showed us how uh, yields have, have changed um, over the last few years. Uh, we also heard from several businesses that are working to um, re rework uh, existing assets um, and one particularly standout presentation came from um, the European um, investment group ECE who own lots and lots of, of retail and shopping centres and um, have realised in the last few years that um, they need to do something uh, a bit more interesting with them to extract some more value. So they're switching uh, office buildings into hotels, they're building the new Ruby in Rome, uh, and they are repurposing various bits of their uh, retail uh, asset base in some quite interesting ways. Yeah, one of the debates that suddenly reared its head um, during the conference was uh, this to lease or not to lease thing and I know Chris you you initially suggested that uh, we should run that as, mm. as the way in for the story but uh, uh, the problem is you know it's we've done it to death in the hotel sector mm -hmm. so much and it, it's fascinating how that's still 
very much a live issue here um, for those more traditional uh, real estate investment sectors mm. um, and, and people are still getting their heads around what is the best way to to um, yeah, have some impact on the operational element what's the best approach and um, the Green Street presentation where they they looked at what they called alternatives which um, covered everything from uh, um, sort of hotels but also included stuff like self-storage included stuff like data centers cell towers and all this kind of stuff as well um, um, and, and how you actually have a, a exposure of that to that operating business and you know he was very much still sort of putting forward the idea that you can have a tenant landlord relationship on that traditional lease structure or you can go the way of alternatives and have a kind of owner operator structure and in the hotel business we look at this thinking you know <laughs> how come they're so far behind um, in their thinking you know there are other things out there what about franchising what about um, third-party operators what about management contracts and these are all seen as novel and new and um, you know one of the things that Green Street put up is this notion as well that there is a sort of risk reward piece where you go higher up the risk curve and expose yourself to the operating business um, or you go lower down the risk curve and have a nice fixed lease but you know that sort of thinking is is really from the arc I, I would suggest now or at least uh, pre-covid mm. um so in in terms of that because you know retail was already in meltdown um before we had the covid lockdowns it's already hugely problematic already it had clearly shown that uh, that 25 year triple net lease just is no, no longer fit for purpose for that and now with the the surge in the work from home trend um the same thing has happened in office as well so i really do I do think that uh, this notion of having a lease and it being less risky is is not true um and in you know there is an argument to be, to be made that having a grip on an understanding of the operating business is in actual fact the best way to de-risk so i would dispute that this risk curve that that you know green street popped up there i mean they are reflecting how their clients you know who are much more mainstream traditional real estate investors do look at the world but i think you know what what this conference is about is just how much that has changed and how much we you know we need to start thinking differently about this stuff um certainly in terms of the lease itself i mean you know the, the 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 lease is not a problem in and of itself i think you can have a, a lease structure within an operational real estate um uh investment asset class um and it and it worked fine i think we had pandoc speaking um you know at the event and uh, you know they're clearly a great example of how you can make it work but what pandocs are they have a deep understanding um you know they're experts in the operating business mm. as well they have a deep understanding of that and indeed they do operate a number of their hotels themselves so i think what that gives them is this capacity to both do the lease um and understand what's going on or where necessary they will they will go and directly operate it themselves and become that owner operator that uh, green street talks about so there are both 
both approaches are on offer and both actually work but the key thing is not the contract it's not whether it's leased or up um, or it's a management contract or franchise or what have you um, what matters is the the level of understanding about that opco piece which is what has been missing so much in that traditional real estate um, investor approach and in fact, you know, what we very much heard from Yolanda Barnes, um, from UCL and uh, with her presentation is, look, you've got to, you know, those old ways of doing it, a very 20th century, you've got to think now in a 21st century uh, way and understand you've got to get to grips with what is going on inside the building. Um, and that's the message that sort of comes through um, overall uh, from you know what we talk about what we talked about at the operational real estate events and what is talked about more broadly in in the markets we're covering now we're going back to look at hotel sector again once more and uh, particularly take a look at uh, the growth in uh, interest mainstream interest in uh, all, all the all-inclusive resort offering um, the uh, it's something that uh, there does appear to have been a fundamental uh, shift in uh, consumer demand uh, for all-inclusive uh, holidays and all-inclusive breaks uh, since the pandemic. Uh, it does seem to be something that is a change that is enduring. Um, we saw Hyatt early on acquiring Apple Leisure and uh, those uh, Apple Leisure resorts uh, then performing way, way better than, than Hyatt had, had even hoped they would, um, which has done them very well. Looks looks in, in the rearview mirror to have been excellent timing. Um, but the others are still jumping onto the bandwagon and most recently we've had... Uh, uh, Ackles Ennismore division announced they're going to be uh, launching uh, a big all-inclusive platform uh, taking the learnings they've got from um, uh, their Rixos brand which has got some very large all-inclusive resorts and, uh, and and appending those experiences and those learnings onto some of their other brands building bigger properties under uh, some of the other brands such as Swissotel and and so uh, and expanding them out into Hyde, Mondrian, SLS and Fairmont in, in future. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a sector that's that's going very well. You need scale because you need to amortise that cost of that uh, all those uh, free free lunches and dinners and breakfasts. Um, but uh, get the scale right and it can be quite um, profitable business. And um, as demonstrated by some numbers recently from Club Med, who uh, of course were one of the early adopters of the the all inclusive concept. Um, they they're still going great guns, expanding their business growing the scale of their uh, their new new openings uh, and and gently pushing their existing ones up market to uh, improve the returns um, they of course are also getting big time into the Chinese market um, bearing in mind they're now backed by a Chinese uh, developer uh, but it's uh, it's an interesting space this you know all-inclusive coming for the day or coming for the weekend or coming for the week um, business and we're seeing no end of people looking to take a concept and expand it um, in in many different ways. And uh, one of the other ones we've just had a quick look at was um, uh, an American brand called Great Wolf. They produce um, kind of water park based uh, leisure destinations, and they seem to be uh, uh, out in the UK picking up the uh, the odd tired golf course here and there, and reformatting them to produce. Uh, one of their resorts. Um, interestingly, they're backed by Blackstone, who uh, don't all that often get it badly wrong. 
Yeah, I mean, this uh, again, this comes back to risk reward and and changing perceptions. So historically, investors were very wary about the resort um, sector, um, but I think that's because they were looking at it from a sort of asset backed basis. And you know, you put your money into a resort and you know there's not really that much in terms of an alternative use if mm. the wheels come off it um especially if you're in an area which is uh, you know you've only got airlift provided by tour operators you, you're kind of a little bit stuffed frankly um with that but so what that does require is the same thing as um we were just talking about is an interest in in the opco piece and in the tour operating piece specifically in this case and it, it's much broader than simply being a you know a a, a hotel with a mm -hmm. big buffet which is kind <laughs> of how you might perceive uh, some of these all-inclusives um there's a lot more to it than that and you, what you've got to be able to deliver is a full guest experience so you've got you've got to do you, you, of course you have that 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 food and beverage offer but you you have the rest of the things that go with that with the uh, uh what do they call it uh, the animation mm -hmm. teams and uh, those sort of things all have to be there an understanding of you know what's appropriate for the guest segment you're targeting and all that kind of thing so it's quite a complex sophisticated uh uh sort of operating um area um and it does need specialists who are who are able to do that uh, if you do that as you say Chris you if you grow that team deliver that team um, um, you know get, get get them up to speed you know there are incredibly good margins available it, it does take a bit uh, uh, to get there once you've got there you're away and I think you mention uh, um, in your piece mm -hmm. uh, Club Med uh, um, now part of I think it's uh, what do they call it is that the fun division in no right in yeah mm -hmm. um, all oh, right the okay. happiness division sorry the happiness that's it the happiness division <laughs> they got four different divisions with similarly or similarly bizarre names um and you know they're expecting to grow that uh, by 20 percent um between 2022 to 2025 in terms of the number of uh, uh accommodation um you know the capacity of the accommodation so that's new resorts mostly that, that they'll be opening so uh, I think you know there's a terrific opportunity here within the resort sector which those investors who are prepared to make the effort to understand that opco alongside the propco um, they will be the ones who are going to be in a position to exploit it those thinking they're just going to be signing a lease with uh, a, a hotel um, are the ones who are going to um, you know run into trouble at some point now we're going to uh, put our five star no star awards on hold a little this week as we're just going to dive into the uh, a quick discussion of the elephant in the room as far as uh, international travel is concerned and that is the um, flare-up of hostilities in uh, Israel. Yeah indeed the terrorist atrocities that Hamas committed um, are just you know bigger belief and it, it truly is a uh, it is a horrible moment and um you know unfortunately we're probably going to get uh th you know see uh, uh, more deaths um in the coming days weeks and months um uh, you know thoughts and prayers for all the innocent people that are going to be affected by this um coming back to the business aspect of it um we don't know yet 
quite what the impact is going to be right now i suspect it's it's that the sector is going to be proved to be more resilient um, as it has been in uh, after recent similar outbreaks so if we look at what happened uh, following russia ukraine um, there wasn't that big a fallout in terms of international travel as a result of that um, so you know i hope that, that this is going to be the case here but uh, um, I, I rather suspect you know we've already seen a, a you know, tourists, um, Jewish tourists, Israeli tourists in um, Egypt who were uh, shot dead, uh, along with their tour guide, actually, their Muslim tour guide um, in Egypt. So I think, you know, that is clearly, if there's any signs of further unrest and uh, and, and this uh, dispute, this conflict um, uh, broadening and widening, then I think it's going to have quite a profound effect. I suspect that the the uh, Americans in particular are going to be very wary of the whole Middle East region um, and uh, indeed uh, you know we're already seeing in Israel itself that uh, um, the, the, the British uh, uh, Foreign Office is uh, evacuating its uh, staff and uh, its non-essential staff and their families so it's, it's clear indication I think of how seriously this is being viewed and just how you know the risks involved here um, you know we we just have to hope that uh, this doesn't escalate um, um, into into a broader conflict and uh, um, and once again express our um, deep deep sympathy with um, all those innocent victims that have been involved. And on that salutary note, we'll say goodbye for now.